Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers is a bi-weekly podcast presented by Partners in Promise. Partners in Promise is a nonprofit dedicated to protecting the rights of military children in special education. Large organizations like the military have learned to love the status quo. But at Partners in Promise, we believe in being disruptive as we have learned that having easy conversations rarely leads to real change in special education or in the military. We are storytellers who aren't afraid to get a little disruptive. Are you a military change maker who wants to hear more disruptive stories? Consider sponsoring an episode of Disruptive Storytelling, and together we can work to combat stigma within the military. For more information, email info at partnersinpromise.org and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jennifer Barnhill from Partners in Promise, your host of the Disruptive Storytelling Podcast with Military Changemakers. Today, we're here to kind of talk about a lot of different topics in one. We In this season of the podcast, we're really focused on data. But the topic that we're talking about today intersects not just with data, but also that personal story. And the season prior to this one on stigma, we cover a lot of topics here. So we're just going to jump right in. I'm going to introduce you to some of our guests who are here today to talk about something you've heard about in the news, food insecurity among military families. I'm joined today by Kelly Clore and Josh Purtis from Maison. I would love to get Josh, would you love to say hi and, and introduce yourself and a little bit about what you and your organization do? Great. Thanks so much, Jennifer. And so happy to be on the podcast and talk about this really important issue. My name is Josh Protus. I'm proud to be the vice president of public policy at Mazon, a Jewish response to hunger. Uh, Mazon is a Hebrew word. It means sustenance or nourishment. And organizationally, we bring the American Jewish community voice to anti-hunger policy and advocacy matters. Uh, We're focused on food insecurity in the U.S. and address issues of hunger for people of all faiths and backgrounds. And for nearly a decade, we've been leading the charge and to call attention to and address a long overlooked issue about military families who go hungry. And in particular, trying to address some policy barriers that had made that make it more difficult for low-income junior enlisted service members, not exclusively, some officers uh, too, and senior enlisted members who struggle to make ends meet and face barriers in particular to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. We've been proud to partner with organizations like the National Military Family Association, Military Officers Association of America, and Blue Star Families in this advocacy effort, and really pleased that there's been some forward progress that we'll talk about uh, later on. Well, thank you so much, Josh, uh, for sharing. Kelly, would you like to introduce yourself and your connection to this community? Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. As you mentioned, my name is Kelly Clore, and I am the Food and Security Deploy Fellow at Blue Star Families. So this Deploy Fellowship is a one-year-long fellowship that Blue Star Families started in 2021, and I came on board in July. Whenever I came on board, they said, oh, your topic is going to be food insecurity. 
And that was actually perfect because just prior to starting the uh, Deploy Fellowship, I had started learning more about food insecurity. And I, it made me remember some of those times in our early military life. I am an active duty Air Force spouse, by the way. And my husband's been in the military for 14 years. Early in that time of our enlistment, um, we were struggling financially. And around the time that he enlisted, I had just finished my bachelor's degree. I had healthcare work experience. I was ready to move into this lifestyle and continue with my career. But you know, things don't always go as planned. And we were having some difficulty with childcare. We were having difficulty with being able to find a job. And we ended up uh, finding ourselves utilizing WIC to kind of get through those rough patches of, of that financial hardship that we started to face whenever we ended up joining the military. So, Looking back on that experience, I didn't necessarily consider myself food insecure. I didn't think, gosh, here I am, food insecure. It was just kind of life and, and how, you know, we, need, we needed to get through parts of those struggles. So learning about food insecurity just a couple of months before starting this fellowship was really a light bulb moment for me. And when I started the fellowship, I came in with the lived experience of it and the interest of it and, you know, really the, the compassion and understanding of what families are going through. So that's how, that's how I got started in this fellowship and the work that I've been doing and it's kind of framed the work that I've started with Blue Star Families. Thank you for um, your vulnerability and sharing a little bit about your personal story. Can can I ask this question of, of both of you? Because, you know, you kind of brought up, you weren't even aware that you would be, could be considered food insecure. Words matter and definitions matter. So can you kind of define what, when you use the word food insecure, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? What, how could a family maybe who is struggling say, oh my goodness, maybe I am food insecure. I, I'll pass that to either one of you, um, Kelly or Josh. Well, well, Kelly, do you want to share kind of from your perspective? And then I can share about maybe some of the, the bureaucratic definitions around this. Sure. So whenever we're talking about food insecurity, the definition from the U.S. Department of Agriculture is the lack of consistent access to enough food for an active and healthy life. On a personal level, whenever we're talking about food insecurity, it means that we may not have enough money to buy all of the groceries that we need to get through the week. You know, we may be living on ramen for a couple of days because we're at the end of the pay period and we don't have enough money to go out and, and buy fresh fruits and veggies and all of the nutritious food that, you know, we should have access to. On a personal level, whenever we're dealing with food insecurity, you may have enough food to feel full and to not feel hungry physically, 
but it may not necessarily be the nutritious food that you need, especially as a young family, especially as um, an active duty military family where, you know, you have the spouse that or the service member that is doing PT and going to work and working, you know, different schedules and hours and things like that. And the irony is that it's much cheaper to be able to purchase food that ultimately is not particularly healthy. It's empty calories. Food insecurity goes hand in hand with diet-related health conditions like obesity and diabetes. And, and some people think, well, how could that person be food insecure if they're overweight? And, and the truth is that you can purchase unhealthy food in mass quantities that fills you up but doesn't give your body the nutrients to thrive and can lead to negative health consequences. And, and I think Kelly's point also reveals the, the disconnect. So for families that may be experiencing food insecurity, they know the challenges that they have, whether it's a parent who maybe skips a meal so that they can provide sufficient food for their children. And they know that they're making those changes in their, their household budgeting. They may just not identify with the term food insecure, which really is a bureaucratic term that was devised by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And people may not see themselves in that term. And I think that adds to some of the stigma and shame and the disconnect with help that's out there and, and programs that are out there, such as SNAP or WIC. And people who may be struggling don't think of themselves as someone who might need that program. Yeah. You said a couple different things and now I have like a hundred different questions, but you know, one of the, one of the points that you mentioned was stigma. You know, we just defined technically what could qualify someone to be considered food insecure, but what are the barriers, you know, that you see in the military community are, are they different than, you know, the general population? Um, what are the stigmas surrounding food insecurity? I know asking for help is one of those things that as some, an organization focused on the exceptional family member program and special needs and special education, there are a lot of stigmas out there that stop us from getting the help that we need. Are you seeing the same things happening on the, the military side of things with food insecurity? And I'll, I'll, kick it. I'll let you guys fight it out as to who wants to answer these questions. <laughs> so I can, I can start off on this. I mean, there's a huge amount of stigma around food insecurity and economic instability. Part of that is because of military culture that really makes it difficult for people to ask for help. It's seen as a sign of weakness. And there's a perception that if you are seen to be having financial difficulties, that that might be something that impacts your career status. It could jeopardize your security clearance, your promotability. So you don't want to be seen by your superiors as having financial difficulty. Part of the disconnect around this is a failure to recognize the unique challenges of modern military families. And, and we have many more families that come to military service than in the past. And in many ways, our compensation structure and the benefit structure for the military is really geared toward those single individuals and, and frankly, single men who historically were the, the bulk of our military force. Well, the composition of the military has changed tremendously. And as we have more families, there are unique needs and challenges. And so one of the contributing factors is an exceptionally high rate of spousal unemployment. 
which makes it very difficult for a family of a junior enlisted service member to support a whole household on a low rate of base pay. So not addressing some of the realities um, that military families face exacerbates the stigma and the shame around this in, in families who really do need the help are just afraid to raise their hand and, and to ask for it. And that should never be the case. And, and even more shameful is that these families are prevented from getting help that they should be entitled to. And there are barriers, uh, for example, around the, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, where their basic allowance for housing gets treated as income. And it blocks many of these families who then in turn, because they can't qualify for SNAP, turn in desperation to food pantries that serve on or near every single military base in the country. That's shameful. There, there's no reason that a military family on a routine basis should have to turn to the emergency food network to put food on the table. So there's a lot systemically, not only in military culture, but, um, but in the way our political systems look at this and, and just the way that we're treating the military families who are, are bravely serving. And it's not just the, the service member themselves, but the whole family that's serving. And we often don't do enough to help the rest of the family. Yeah. I, you hit that right on, you know, on the nail, nail on the head, you know, with the, how we view the family and how we are a unit and, and we have to care for the entire unit, not just the operational side of the unit. So Kelly, what, did you see a similar pattern when you, you were working in your fellowship or in your experience? Did you, did you ever feel that stigma or work alongside people who did? I definitely felt that stigma. I remember, you know, back in the day, whenever we were on WIC, we had to use the vouchers. We didn't have the, the EBT card that's available now. And I just remember having to, whenever I was checking out at the grocery store, kind of separating out those foods because I had to use the voucher and, and just feeling that like sense of, I sh like, we shouldn't have to be relying on this to feed our daughter. You know, we shouldn't have to be relying on this to, to grocery shop. And I remember feeling just like sort of embarrassed about it. And, and like, we weren't doing enough, you know, I was trying to find a job. We were living in a fairly isolated part of the country. And, um, you know, the plans that I had as far as my career kind of got pushed aside because I was supporting my husband's career and, you know, just the, the kind of work schedule that he had and things like that. So Josh mentioned like the contributing factors of spouse unemployment and underemployment and the cost of childcare. And, you know, just the out-of-pocket costs, there's a lot of assumption that if you're a military family, you have everything taken care of. So that isn't always the case, though. You know, we're all dealing with inflation. We're all dealing with an increased cost of goods and, and services. And even now on social media, I see military spouses asking for help. Where do I find a food bank? How do I find this help? You know, please don't, and, and they always say, please don't judge me because it, it feels like there's so much judgment that we should be doing better and we should be able to take care of ourselves. And, and on the, I want to add a note about judgment and I want to just thank Kelly for sharing her story. I was in a room of, 
few weeks ago uh, at a gathering with, I don't know, around 75 people and Kelly shared in detail about some of the, the challenges that her family experienced in, and about her growing up. And I know that takes an amazing amount of bravery, but it's so impactful. And every single person in that room was moved by hearing Kelly's story. And it's difficult for people to come forward and share about that because of the judgment. And, and the point I wanted to, to add was that there's a lot of societal judgment around programs that serve low-income families. And it's really pernicious and dangerous. And a lot of it is ideologically and, and politically motivated. We saw that going back in the 1980s during the Reagan years with the myth of the welfare queen that was very racially coded and created negative associations around social safety net programs, that welfare was perceived as this handout, that it was keeping people from working, that people were taking advantage of the system, which is not the case by and large. But those perceptions have really stuck. And I think that adds to the shame around this issue when people shouldn't have to feel ashamed if they need help from a program like SNAP. It exists to be able to help people put food on the table. There shouldn't be a negative connotation around that. But unfortunately, there are very deep negative associations. Absolutely. You know, the thing that comes to mind when you said that is how military spouses can often be lab labeled dependas. We did a whole series on that term. If you utilize a benefit, you're seen as someone who's not worthy or, or you know, it's not evil, but just you're othered. And that's just not, you know, what we want for, for our families who are in need of help. We need to talk about these problems and talk about these issues. Um, that's why we're here today. We are focused on data this season. And I know, you know, we've talked a lot about storytelling side of things uh, because data always tells a story. Are there data that kind of help elevate this topic or is there anything that's missing? Or, you know, how can we look at this problem as a whole? Is there, is there any good data on, on the, this problem? One of the pieces of data that we refer to with Blue Star Families is the Military Family Lifestyle Survey. And that's a survey that we take every year. I believe it started in 2009, but I could be I could be wrong about that. So um, please be sure to... That sounds about right. I've done some I, yeah. reporting on them. It sounds about right. I think it's a, a, at least 10 years old. It, at least. I, at least. And, you know, we could probably find that information, share it in the show notes if we need to. Anyway, in 2020, we started asking the, there's a two-part set of USDA questions to identify food insecurity. And those questions were included in the 2020 survey. And what came out of that survey was that 14% of enlisted active duty families identify, or not identify, but are are food insecure according to their answers to those survey questions. And that's about one in seven. You know, just gathering that information and encouraging people to participate in surveys like that, I think that's a really big deal because at least then people are, are voicing what this problem is and they're sharing and, and they're participating as a collective voice that that starts to inform our leaders of what the issues are around food insecurity. 
And Mazone was really proud to work with Blue Star families years back to start including questions about food insecurity as part of the Military Family Lifestyle Survey. And that survey and some other surveys that other groups uh, do, I know National Military Family Association just did um, some comprehensive analysis about military teens and food insecurity was an issue that came up. Those surveys have really helped to fill in an unfortunate gap that has persisted for years. And unfortunately, the federal government has really dragged its feet. Mazon pushed on this issue years back and helped to get a GAO report back in 2016. They called out the Department of Defense on the shameful lack of data. Um, Because if you don't really understand the issue and you don't have a sense of the scope of it, it's difficult to address it. And DOD was pretty intentionally not collecting data on this in a way that would be revealing. And I I think part of that is because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that we have so so many military families that struggle with food insecurity. So in some ways, it's more convenient to sweep it under the rug and to not have an exposure of the full extent. And, and honestly, we're, we're still waiting for that comprehensive data. And that GAO report was in 2016. There have been subsequent calls for reporting through report language in National Defense Authorization Act bills, and we're still waiting on DOD. I will say that there's encouraging signs about new leadership at DOD, starting with Secretary Austin and, and some fantastic folks Uh, who are dealing with military readiness and personnel matters. Secretary Austin talked at a press conference in November about food insecurity and not in a way trying to downplay the issue, but recognizing it was something that had to be addressed and called for a 90-day review. And we're waiting to see the results of that. But I think that there's more of a recognition that will help to generate some of the, the more comprehensive data that we really need. Yeah. Well, we know that data, you know, without data, it's hard to make informed choices. So, you know, for our leadership and and you kind of said, you know, that things were collected somewhat non without the intent of actually doing very much. And that's why we're here. And this podcast is called Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers. But we always you know, we can have these hard conversations and say honestly that things are, weren't going well, but with always with the focus that there are solutions that we can propose. And so I would love to hear, um, Kelly, like if you were to look at a solution for how you might even message it to one person, you know, what would you tell one person who maybe has been going through something similar to what you went through? What would the solution be or what would you recommend that individual? To me, the overarching issue here is nourishment. And that's why I've named my my fellowship, my project, Nourish the Service, because to me, nourishment is more than just fed. There's a holistic side to this. And when we discuss the resources that military families can be lacking in because of the unique challenges of military life, we're talking about a sense of belonging in the community in which they in which they live, their mental health, um, their emotional, spiritual, physical, um, their support systems, all of these resources are very important and they're part of the picture. And food insecurity is related to economic resources that a household, you know, on, on a 
general level, but the bigger holistic picture to take into account is that a family's ability to nourish themselves well enough to do their job and that their kids can do well in school and that they can live an active and healthy life is the important thing here. So it's hard to say, you know, specifically what the solutions are because there's so many pieces to this that need to be improved. The military spouse on an underemployment piece needs to be improved. The, the cost and availability of childcare needs to be improved. And, you know, the assumption that the military, military families have everything taken care of, that needs to go away because we face the same things that everybody else faces whenever it comes to, you know, a higher cost of living and, and making sure that we have access to appropriate nutritious foods. And I think that one of the solutions would be just an understanding of all of these pieces that play into nourishment so that families don't feel that stigma and, and have to face those barriers whenever they are experiencing a tough time. You're exactly right. There's never a, issues are rarely black and white and there's not just one side. There's many sides. This is a, what I, you know, a wicked problem. You know, this is the tentacles go into many different areas here. So I asked that question, uh, knowing it's a complex answer, but I thank you for summarizing that from that personal side. Josh, from like an organizational standpoint, a legislative standpoint, a, you know, more national level, what are the solutions that you, you are observing uh, that are in the, in the works or that others can kind of join alongside to come, come and support this community? Yeah, absolutely. And want to just build on something that Kelly said. I mean, the, the holistic approach to this issue is so important. And I think part of that is also a holistic understanding of what the costs of not addressing it are. And and rather than thinking about, oh, this is going to be so expensive to create a new program and, and looking at, you know, the price tag on that, we need to think about it as an investment in giving our military families what they really truly need to thrive, to reach their full potential. So Mazan often talks about food insecurity among military families as an issue of mission readiness, as well as an issue of retention and recruitment and a contributing factor to challenges around racial equity in our armed forces, and also a contributing factor to suicide rates that have grown alarmingly high among service members and family members in the military. So not addressing this issue impacts all of those things. When a service member is worried about their family back at home, having enough to eat, especially when they're deployed, they're not gonna be fully present for their mission. And that has an impact on the larger goal for what the military is trying to do in that instance. If a family is struggling while service member is struggling through junior enlisted years, they may look outside of the military for a career path. And we, we risk losing really good, talented people, particularly service members of color who are overrepresented in the junior enlisted ranks. And there is a lack of diversity in the leadership and officer ranks. So we need to keep that good talent by taking care of them while they're early in their career. And we know that children who grew up in military households are much more likely to serve. 
but if they grow up in a food insecure household, they're at greater risk of diet-related health conditions like obesity and diabetes that make them unfit to serve. So we need to look at holistically at the costs of inaction. Fortunately, there's been some good progress. So um, in the fiscal year 2022 National Defense Authorization Act, a provision that Mazon had helped to craft uh, to establish a military family basic needs allowance was included with some modifications. So in essence, this provision would establish a basic needs allowance that would convey to service member households that are at or below 130% of the federal poverty level. Ideally, the basic allowance for housing would have been excluded categorically, but in the compromise that Congress made to the bill, they gave the Secretary of Defense discretion to identify high cost of living areas and only to, to exclude the BAH or a portion of the BAH's income in those high cost of living areas. So DOD is working on standing that program up. Longer term, it will need to be tweaked to be able to reach all who are in need because we know that military hunger is not an issue just in high cost of living areas. It, it does not know particular zip codes. It's an issue at every single military base across the country. So we need to make sure that this program is stood up well, that there are some correctives to it. Ideally, it would be nice to tie it to a higher income threshold above 130%. So there will be some opportunities in future NDAA bills. And we're now coming up on the farm bill. And your listeners may not think a lot about the farm bill, but it's a massive piece of legislation that really touches all parts of American life. Most notably for this issue, it includes the, the authorization and reauthorization for the SNAP program. And there's an opportunity in this farm bill, which comes up only about every five years, to fix that barrier that prevents military families from getting help. So excluding the basic allowance for housing is counted income. And that barrier also exists in some child feeding programs. So for WIC, it's up to states to determine whether they count the BAH's income. And then it's tricky for the National School Lunch Program. So we should make it as easy as possible for military families not to get the help they need, but just to get what they just to get the support that they need. And they shouldn't have to jump through hoops to be able to put food on the table and to meet their family's basic needs. So there's fortunately some opportunities to address this through legislation, but it's not going to be easy. Even though there's bipartisan support for these issues, when it comes down to the question of how are we going to pay for it, it gets tricky. And it, it shouldn't be because this should be a top priority. Yeah. Well, I thank you both for coming. I, I want to be sure to include some resources for families who maybe are food insecure um, in our show notes, but do you have any, any your go-to resources for families that we can shout out now? And we'll obviously include them in the notes. Do you have any favorites there? Or um, I know locally that there's a lot, you mentioned there are food pantries. How could people either, not just that, but how can they be part of like maybe the change, the resource that they could connect to, to then contribute to to fixing some of these problems. So Mazone has um, some resource pages on our website. We have a, a section just about military hunger issues, including our report that came out in 2021, Hungry in the Military. Uh, and we also have a wealth of resources about veteran food insecurity, which is a related issue, but some, some different unique challenges. And that includes links to all of the USDA programs, as well as the National Hunger Hotline and other resources. 
So folks go to mazon.org. It's M-A-Z-O-N.org. Um, all of those uh, links are available in information. Blue Star Families also has a food insecurity resource page. It's under Nourish the Service. So if you go to bluestarfam.org under Supporting Military Families, you'll see a link for uh, food insecurity resources. Well, great. We'll be sure to include those links in our show notes. Um, thank you both for joining. Thank you, Kelly, for sharing your personal story to help combat the stigma facing food insecurity and, and being able to just talk about it. Um, I thank you both for your time. Did you have any last minute, anything you want to add before we close? If not, I think we've covered quite a bit. <laughs> just want to thank you for the opportunity to talk about this issue. And as we all have discussed, it's an issue that doesn't get talked about so much. And I think the more that we can have open and frank conversations, we help to normalize the idea and, and hopefully chip away at that stigma because families who, who need help should never be afraid or ashamed to have to ask for it. So thank you for shedding some more light on this important topic. Definitely echoing what Josh said, we definitely need to be talking about this more and destigmatizing this issue. And also um, just a quick plug for the Military Family Lifestyle Survey. We will be fielding that survey May 23rd through July 10th. Well, thank you both for coming and speaking with me today. Uh, thank you for listening and for, uh, for joining us with Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers. This episode of the podcast was sponsored in part uh, thanks to our donors, especially the Defense Credit Union Council, DCUC, DCUC is the premier defense trade association representing the interests of the defense credit unions serving the U.S. Armed Forces worldwide. DCUC has over 180 credit unions and advocates for credit unions serving military and veteran communities throughout their entire financial life cycle. Thank you to our sponsors and thank you to our guests and thank you to you, our listeners who are here helping to understand each other within this community and to move past these areas of stigma that we are facing. So thank you all and be sure to subscribe. Do you want to help us tell more disruptive stories? Consider sponsoring an episode of the podcast. To learn more or ask questions, email info at partnersinpromise.org or connect with us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe today.